going to start a series now on the family, and uh, we decided that the last talk, which was going to be dating, it was scheduled to be the last talk, would be the first, since the young people are taking a hiatus uh, over in Lincoln Square, so we thought we'd do this first. And uh, who should hear this? Well, all of us, whether we're going to be single, uh, whether we are single, whether we're going to be married, whether we're young or old, uh, we're going to explore the topic of dating. Dating. And I would say that um, the question of dating, I just went through it like why, when, where, <laughs> who, that, that's sort of how I set up this, this teaching. And the first thing I think I would say is um, if you're a parent that's sitting in here, the most important person or persons in your child's dating life is you and your wife, not the person they're going to be dating. And so um, uh, I know that uh, or am familiar with uh, a resource from Focus on the Family. It used to be online and free, and you could print it out. Uh, and it's what you talk to your kids about age appropriately, um, you know, by, you know, three to five-year-old, then et cetera, et cetera, uh, as you have them in the home. And now it's a book, so you got to buy it. But it's a really great guide about how to guide your child through this. And uh, uh, I also wanted to tell you, if you're a parent, uh, that uh, I love Josh McDowell. And uh, I don't know if you guys know who Josh McDowell is, but he's uh, uh, an apologist and a speaker and a heart for kids for, uh, for um, uh, an organization called Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now called Crew. And he has a book out called Why Wait? And uh, it's fantastic and full of uh, great things. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to start out with why would somebody date? Why would somebody date? Well, the first thing I think that somebody would date for and why people date is for socialization, to be social, to learn and to grow and to uh, uh, interact with people of uh, the opposite sex and uh, learn how to be polite and to um, talk with people of the opposite sex. And, um, you know, even as I think about it, I mean, there's godly things that I would say to a man that I wouldn't say to a woman. And learning those parameters and knowing how to be discreet and polite and gracious and uh, uh, in your speech. So I think socialization, being social is one reason. Develop your social skills is one reason to date. But also your personality. I mean, your personality develops as well. Uh, what it is that are your strengths and weaknesses in your personality. And when you uh, get uh, in the company of uh, somebody from the opposite sex, especially <laughs> at the beginning, you can kind of tell pretty quickly what you're good at and what you're bad at and uh, um, how you interact. And so those things are important. And God, I think, cares for those things. And so socialization and personality development, I think, are big things. But I hear, think this is another thing. And I, I hope that if you're 50 here and you're single, 60 here and you're single, 70 here and you're single, or if you're 10 or 12 or whatever, I hope that you would write this down. 
What's another purpose for dating? Another purpose for dating is for you to grow in Christ. See, because all of our relationships and all of our interactions with other people are opportunities that God takes in our lives to help us to become more Christ-like. And so I think a big one, and I think we should write that down and remember it at the forefront of our minds. If we're going to date somebody and uh, go out uh, and be with somebody from the opposite sex, we should have the forefront of our mind that we would be growing in Christ. And listen, listen, helping the other person, that's key, grow in Christ. Now, that takes on a different spin about what you're going to do on your dates if you are growing in Christ, you and her, her and him. What's another reason for us to date? Well, as we get a, a little bit older, uh, out of middle school, out of high school, etc., another reason that we're dating is obvious. It's selection of a mate and getting to know people in that way and uh, also having people know us. But certainly, selection of a mate would be a big one. In fact, you know, dating is a sort of a uh, modern mar uh, phenomena. I mean, people used to court, they used to court, and in some countries, I mean, it was forced marriages, but, but courting was a big thing, and that was you and uh, the person of the opposite sex would meet one another, but it would be in the presence of a chaperone or family members, and always sort of just talking and uh, 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 getting to know one another in the presence of a family. And so dating sort of spun out of that. And uh, uh, dating sort of implies that you're going to do it outside the uh, company of your family. And I don't know that that's such a good idea, depending on how young you are. And so we'll talk about that in a minute. But I, there's two verses in the Bible. There's probably more than that, but two that I picked that I think serve as parameters or um, guardrails, there we go, guardrails around dating, no matter what age you are. And the first one, I think, is keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life, Proverbs 4, 23. Keep your heart with all diligence. Now, most people teach that, and I think rightly so. They teach it in terms of what you look at or meditate on or see or get involved in. Not, don't get involved in any immoral activity. And, and yes, I think that's certainly what that proverb is directing you to. But I think here's another thing that Proverbs 4.23 does for you. We're to keep our heart with all diligence or to guard our hearts. And in the area of dating, I think that's key. Folks, know this. The younger you are, <laughs> as you progress, you know, you're, you're doing more socialization and personality stuff and having fun on dates. The more you should know and keep and think about guarding your heart. Why? Because what happens when two people actually get married? Let's go down the road now. I know there's some kids here that are in middle school or high school or whatever. Maybe that's not on your radar yet. But down the road, when you get married, what happens to a man and a wife? The two become one. Not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually. And what you're doing when you get married is you're, <laughs> in, in one sense, taking your heart and unguarding it now. 
and you're giving it to another person. You're trusting another person with your heart, and he or she is giving it back and trusting it to you, you see. So you've been guarding it all these years because you're guarding it because you were going to give your heart away to your husband or your wife. Keep your heart with all diligence. Because see, what happens a lot of times in dating is we give our heart out way too early. We give our heart out, and then what happens is we go through a series of breakups and heartaches and rejection, and before you know it, here's what we've learned biblically. Well, I shouldn't say it that way. Here's what we've learned. We've learned to be bad at dating and be bad partners in marriage because we're always feeling rejected. We can't be vulnerable. We're so hurt, you see. And so it's dangerous uh, before... um, Uh, you know, getting to your spouse to give your heart away. And so I think Proverbs 4.23 is a big one in dating. Keep your heart or guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issue of life. Here's another verse that I think is a guardrail for dating. And it's this, Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, whatever you do, You like to play football, whatever you do. You like to go to school, whatever you do. You go to work, whatever you do. You have relationships, maybe friend relationships, maybe girlfriend, boyfriend relationships, whatever you do. Do it heartily, but as to the Lord and not to men. I think that's another guardrail for dating relationships, that what you're doing is unto the Lord, that you could even worship the Lord in your relationships, including dating. And that's why I say that one of the reasons for growing or for dating is to grow in Christ. You're learning things. You're learning to protect and love. And these two verses, keep your heart with all diligence and whatever you do, do heartily as to the Lord and not to men, I think are the guardrails of why you're dating, or if you're even dating. Well, who to date? Who to date? Who would I I have to date? Well, Paul addresses that, and the Bible says that we're not to be unequally yoked. This is in 2 Corinthians 6.14. That we're not to be unequally yoked. It actually says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I'm just going to let that sit there for a minute. I mean, I didn't say it, but here's what happens in my job. Oh, man, I met this guy. He is amazing. He looks so wonderful. He's got the best job downtown. He's so nice. His family is wonderful. We've had the best time together. He's been so creative on the dates. And now as the uh, conversation's going and it gets longer and longer, I know they're dreading what I'm about ready to ask them. Well, do you know if he's a Christian? Has he given his life to the Lord? Uh, well, I mean, he goes to church on Christmas and Easter. I mean, and so I'm thinking if, if I can just get married to this guy, I'm sure he'll come around. Well, that's not what unequally or, or being equally yoked means. In fact, rabbit trail a little bit, I personally believe, well, I might get some criticism for this, 
but two Christians should be equally yoked. You get it? So I think uh, that you can find yourself in a real difficult period or time if that you're deciding uh, to marry somebody and one person's here and one person's there in their Christian walk, I don't know. Just because they've made a profession of faith, mm, I don't know. And we'll get into that here in a minute. What if this one over here wants to be a missionary her whole life and go to India or Africa, and this one over here wants to be a, uh, you know, a corporate lawyer and minister to the corporate lawyers in Pittsburgh? Well, that doesn't seem to me that that's equally yoked, you see. But anyway, who are we to date? We're to date those and to be... If we're going to have any sort of relationship in that way with somebody of the opposite sex, I believe it's pretty clear that you're to be equally yoked, and I don't think there's any question about it. And the question becomes this. Ready? Here's a bitter, or bitter pill to swallow for some. Write this down. All of this should be wrapped in this. Do I want to glorify God, listen to his word, and obey it, or do I want to go my way? See, half of the book, or half of the Old Testament or more, maybe most of the Old Testament and maybe most of the Bible, is the story of people who hear from the Lord but want to go their own way. And many people in this area, I don't know what it is, actually I do, but once they, boom, feel that spark, all of that um, uh, rational thinking about the scriptures sort of just goes out the window. So the question becomes, do we want to honor the Lord, obey his, what he says, or do we want to go our own way? That's huge in dating and romance. And the first thing that you have to come to terms with is do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Okay, here's another rabbit trail. I just got to tell you something that just irritates me to no end. Why is it that we have more young ladies in church than we do young men? It drives me batty. And I got to tell you, here's where I lay the blame. Parents. Parents. It's okay for the girl to go. Just, oh, it's church, go. But for the men, what are we doing? Why aren't we raising them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord? I look around and I go to a, a Christian concert and you got 70% young ladies involved, 30% men, and I'm going, what are we doing? So let's step it up, men. Let's step it up in that area. Anyway, that's my soapbox. But we're not to be unequally yoked. That's what who, who today. Second of all, this is second of all, who, in, in, in talking about who we are today. Here's another scripture that I think you're going to find weird that I brought this up. It's this one. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I wonder if you know this. Do you know God is one God in three persons? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
You know what's interesting about us as humans, both men and women? You know what's interesting about your life? The Bible tells you right there in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 that we are made up of, listen, body, soul. What is your soul? It's your mind, your will, your emotions, personality, and also spirit. Body, soul, spirit. So do you get that? We're what's called the inferior trinity, so to speak. You know, we're, we're made up of three parts. And so why do I bring that up? Who to date? Why would I bring that up? Because here's what I think has to happen for you and I as we are selecting somebody or they're selecting us or we're praying about or we're thinking about somebody to go on a date with. I think dating has to have those three components to it. The body part, not the body parts, but you have to be attracted to somebody. Now, I, I'm talking about when you get older here. We'll talk about high school or younger later, but when you get older, what do you have to have? An attraction. There's got to be a spark. Sure, of course. Yes, body. Soul. There's got to be this connection in terms of the intellect and your personality and the things that you like to do together. You connect on that level. Now, it doesn't mean, you know, you can't have opposites attract, but you still, when, when, when you know, all the uh, video games and the Netflix and everything's gone away and you're on vacation, there still has to be this ability to be able to talk to one another and to get along and to love one another there. So I think, look, there's a connection in the spark. There's a connection with the soul, the mind, the will, emotions. And then I think there's a connection spiritually. See what I'm saying? And when you connect with a person on those three levels, so, oh, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Here's what happens a lot of times. I sort of alluded to it first. The world says this. The world connects on one level. My goodness, does she look good. I'm going to do everything I can do to marry that one. Wow, does she, she's amazing. Etc. Etc. And what happens is, no offense, but maybe she doesn't start to look so amazing when she gets into her whatever age. And so you have no connections beyond that. That's really difficult. If you only are connected in one of those three areas, that eventual relationship is really going to go away. If you connect in two of the areas, it's still going to take a lot of work. But when you connect in all three areas, body, soul, spirit, it's as if it's no, no, it still is work. But I mean, you know, when you know when people say, you know that you know that you know about a mate, and some other people say, I don't know about that. Well, that's because somebody has connected on those three levels, body, soul, and spirit. You see that? And so what should you be looking for if you're uh, older than high school and all that sort of thing? Yeah, you should be looking for all of those three things, right? As you start to look for a mate and those sorts of things. So I concluded who to date. Well, we shouldn't uh, yoke ourselves together with an unbeliever, but also who to date. Well, there should be a connection of spirit, soul, and body or spirit, body, and soul. Everybody with me? Well, how about this? When to date? 
when should I begin today? Listen, in Song of Solomon, I've got a lot of rabbit trails. But if you, listen, this is one of my favorite books of all time. This book's by Philip Riken, who's the uh, president of Wheaton College. And he did a book called The Love of Loves or The Song of Songs. There's a couple of them up here. This book blew me away. And I'd studied through and taught the Song of Psalms a couple times. But when I read this, it was a game changer for me. So those are here, and you can get those here. But in the Song of Songs, do you know this? Three times, parents. I'm saying this to the parents, man. Three times. It says there that we're not to stir up or awaken love until it pleases. In other words, you're not to awaken love or stir up passion too early. Why would I dress it to the parents? Parents lead people. Don't just be buddy-buddy. Oh, you want to go out? You're in fourth grade and you wanted to wear a prom dress and it's cut down low and you want to wear this and do it. Oh, fine, no problem. Sometimes when I look on Facebook and I see some of this, I just got to tell you, I, it's like leading lambs to the slaughter and it's the parents' fault. You know, we're not called to be friends. We're called to be parents and leaders. Now, that being said, we're to connect with our kids in graceful ways. But if you read what grace is, grace is about training in godliness. And if you're not training them, if you're just buddy, like locker room guys, what are we doing? We're called to lead our kids and to train them up in all these places. And I look out on social media and I'm like, ay, 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 what are you doing the Bible says, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. When to date? If you're younger than 18 years old, you and your parents got to pray about that and decide, not me. But even if you're older than 18, be careful. Be really careful because the Bible says this. You ready for this one? I know the will of God for all of you young people's lives. And oh, by the way, if you're old, I know you're the will of God for it too. Here's why. Because the Bible tells you. I'm going to read it to you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. For this is the will of God. Even I can understand that. Your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, and that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, body, in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles, who don't know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother. Can you believe that's in the Bible? That no one would take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. Now, i got to tell you something, something that may shock you. And some young people, you might want to hold your ears. God is totally for sex, completely, within the confines of marriage, totally. Enjoy sex, have sex, have babies, nothing wrong with it. But the Bible says that you're not to have sex outside of the marriage bed. 
Josh McDowell says this, I think it's the greatest single statement in this area that I've ever heard. When are you mature enough to start dating? Here's when you're mature enough to start dating parents and kids, when you're mature enough to say no. You can resist peer pressure. You can understand that true love is not about getting, it's about giving. True love is about protecting, not taking, you see. And so, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, when to date? When can you engage in a relationship with somebody from the opposite sex on a date with a protective, true love attitude that's not looking to get something from somebody, but that's looking to protect and, and wait and honor God and grow in Christ. When you can do that, that's when you should date. So that means some people in their 50s shouldn't date. <laughs> you get it? I'm not picking on the young kids. Some people in their 50s, 60s, 70s should not date. 70s might be stretching it, but whatever. That's a joke. <clears throat> so when are, when, are do we, uh, when are we arriving at that point in our walk with the Lord? When can we say, I would rather honor the Lord than gratify myself? That's when you can date. What else? Oh, I, I wanted to uh, bring this verse up too. Because, you know, naturally now, what I, most people would do is direct you to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. The love chapter. I read in there today and thought, I can't believe this is in here. This is amazing. Interesting, when to date, I would point you to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. In other words, when can you date? When you grow up and you stop being childish in the matters of love. Isn't that fascinating? That's where that verse is, is in the love chapter. So when to date? Don't stir up or awaken love until it, or when it's too early. Don't do that. That's just leading you to harmful relationships later. It's leading you to depression and anxiety. I'm going to show you that here in a minute. And it's leading to a, a record or a, a record of just uh, being in bad relationships and learning how not to be successful in your relationships when you stir up or awaken passions too early. The other part is, is that you're to grow up and be mature in the area of love. And again, this is where I think parents come in. Parents come in. I don't know if parents, you know this, but it's okay to say no. Not just okay. That's what the Lord's put you there for. You're the gatekeeper. You're the one who trains up a child. You're the one who's maturing a child. You're the one who's showing a child both through your relationship with your spouse or other people in your life, your parents or your cousins or uncle, whatever, family, but you're also training them up in the word. And you're training them up to be mature in love, not childish. Childish 
um, childish uh, daters are ones who go on dates way too early and go way too far. Well, what should we do on a date? Well, the first thing I should think you would want to do a lot of as a Christian who wants to honor God and grow in Christ on a date, I think, is to communicate. You want to go somewhere or do something where you're going to do lots of communication, talking. Now, I don't know about you, but the movies ain't a great place. Yeah, that's right. And the movies could be tempting, etc., but also you're not going to be talking at all, and you're going to be paying attention to a movie. What are the things that are not movies that are places that you could go where you put yourselves in situations to find out about the other person. Because part of growing in Christ and being social is getting outside of yourself. You understand that? The Bible says that we're to prefer others over us. One of the things that you can do on dates as you keep it light, as you go places where you can communicate, is you can take preference and learn about other people and not just talk about yourself all the time. You ever had somebody who just talks about yourself all your time and you know, they come up for air about 17 minutes into the conversation and you're, you're getting ready to put your two, and they just boom, they start again. And off they go for 14 more minutes. And you're like, oh, okay, okay, I gotta go, bye, <laughs> right? It's a drag, it's a drag. So what should we do on, in dates? I think we should communicate. Here's another thing I think we should do in dates. I think we should go in groups. We should go in groups. We should make it fun with other friends. Putt-putt or pickleball. I'm joking. There we go. <laughs> but pickleball is fun, by the way. Putt-putt or uh, play a sport together or go in groups to the coffee shop or, or something. And as much as you can, don't be alone. And uh, uh, you're communicating now and you're with friend groups and you're learning how to socialize and what to say and how to be polite and how to be uh, a gentleman and all those sort of things. And maybe uh, uh, be creative and remembering all this whole time that we're not going to give away our heart. Uh, because if we do, we know dating and breakups become, just become us being good at dating and breakups. Who wants to do that? And that leads to anxiety and melancholy and lack of identity and can screw around with your identity. So be careful. Oh, here's the last thing I'd say. I would say if you're dating in high school or whatever you're doing, your parents decided that's okay and you're in groups and you're communicating and you're having fun and you're learning about yourself and you're learning about the other people and you're learning how to prefer people over yourselves and conversation and otherwise, I'd say this, which might be surprising to you. I'd say don't get real intimate spiritually. Don't go and uh, uh, pray together in some back corner booth at, uh, you know, Eaton Park or something. I don't know. <laughs> I guess, I don't know if Eaton Park's the right thing to say, but, but I don't think we should, I, see, see, prayer and those deep things that you do together as a husband and wife, that's spiritual. And I think that you need to be careful when we're keeping it light and we're not arousing our passions too early I think we need to be careful about entangling ourselves too deep spiritually because the spiritual and the physical 
and the soulish or the body, the mind, will, and emotions are all going to a place where two are becoming one. And we don't want that to happen outside the marriage, if you know what I'm saying. So I think you got to be careful about uh, being too intimate spiritually, especially in prayer, and don't have a private time of praise, if you know what I'm saying. So what about being physical on dates? Again, I would say sex is great inside the marriage, but not before marriage. What does the Bible say? Let there be no sexual immorality among you, Ephesians 5, 3. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. This is the will of God, that you should abstain for sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6. You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. Listen to this. Ready? Just write this on the top of your Bible. So glorify God in your body. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed is undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. And you see, here's what we say as old people. We're like thinking, okay, all right, so let's not be physical on dates or at any time because that honors God. But see, the definition of physical has gotten different than in my day. Now it's the hookup culture. And the hookup culture is, I won't go into the the intimate details, but a hookup culture is all based on no emotion. That you just have some sort of physical act together and then go away and do it with lots of other people. And you know, you have people that are taking pictures and sending it and all that sort of thing. See, but the problem is, when we're in the hookup culture and you think you're devoid of emotion, you're 100% absolutely wrong. Because here's why. Uh, I commend this book to you. It's not a Christian book. It's called Hooked. It's a book by a scientist named Joe McElhaney and Frida McKissick Bush. And they did the study, studies on the, what happens in the brain when people hook up. And what happens is, is there's all these chemicals that are being released by the lady to bond with the man. And there's all these chemicals released by the man that are exciting and pursuing chemicals for the wife. And what happens is people hook up and these chemicals are released. And then there's nobody there for those chemicals to interact with, so to speak, or for the the person actually to pursue or bond with. And so you get these failed um, chemical releases in the brain over and over and over again. And what happens is, is that there is evidence that when this sex bond breaking up cycle is repeated for a few or many times, even if the bonding was short-lived, damage is done to the important built-in ability, listen to this, to develop significant and meaningful connection to other human beings. This is scientific. These are scientists. They're not Christians. They're saying what the Bible says, is that when you do this, this is why God says don't do it. God is desiring that you, if he, uh, uh, if it happens for you, when you get married, that you bond yourself to your husband and, husband, you pursue your wife. And what's happening is these kids, young people, I shouldn't even say kids, I'm picking on kids, but, you know, people are getting this hookup culture and it becomes this thing where they think nothing's going on, they're devo- devoid of emotion, but they're 
short-circuiting the stuff that God has put in their brain and hearts to bond to their husband or their wife so that when they get ready to get married, it's very difficult for people to bond in that way. You get it? That's what this book is saying. Non-Christian book says exactly what the Bible says. It also says that this hookup culture, because of this and an inability to feel loved or love in the appropriate way, this is what this book says, leads teens and people who participate in the hookup culture to, does this sound familiar? Anxiety and depression. And so now you have this toxic cycle of these people who haven't found security, whether it's young people or old people like me, whatever, they haven't found their security in Christ, so they think if they can just hook up with somebody, that'll make them secure, and people will, you know, stay with them because they've given it up or whatever or done it with somebody, right? And what happens is they hook up and go away, and they hook up and go away, and they're deadening all of their abilities that God put in your brain to be able to connect, and they have problems then, significant problems when they get married. Like things like this, not wanting to have sex, <laughs> not connecting with their spouse, avoiding, shutting down as soon as the, you know, I do, okay, shut down, I fooled you. Ever heard of these stories? They're tragic, they're sad. And God wants strong families, you see, to grow up godly kids until he comes back. And we're doing great disservice in these areas. Well, what, is it, what about this? Here's a question somebody asked. I'm older, they say. I've been looking around for a, a mate for some time. I haven't found anyone yet, and I'm really frustrated. Now what do I do? Well, <laughs> as one pastor I know says, here's my advice to you. I would go to sleep. Hmm? What? Turn with me to the second chapter of Genesis. I haven't found anyone yet. I'm frustrated. Will God ever do this for me? Uh, da, 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 da. As one pastor I know says, go to sleep. And I wrote here, wait, what? Look in Genesis 21 verses, or excuse me, Genesis 2, 21 and 25. And the Lord God caused, caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called <laughs> woman. Some pastor said, whoa, man, she looks so good. But anyway, woman, because she was taken out of the man. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they both were naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now, I want you to know the rest of the story. If you read before in Genesis chapter 2, God did two other things. He told Adam of his need for a helper. <laughs> and then he showed him his need for a helper 
<laughs> and, um, uh, you know, he went through the whole animal naming thing and uh, these are good, but hey, I'm going to give you the woman, you know, wow, whoa, wow, right? And then it's a weird story, isn't it? Haven't you ever thought, wow? Okay, David, or David, Adam, did I say David the whole time, the whole time? All right. Okay, Adam, let's get on the best suit, get your hair blowed back, some cologne on, maybe some push-ups, and let's get out there, baby. And he says, no, he says, I want you to go to sleep. And that's an interesting thing to me. Uh, I would read it here in conjunction with this verse, Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. You know, there's some people, uh, whether it be uh, lady or female or male, they're really heavy laden over this issue. And Jesus says, come to me, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you what? Rest. Take my yoke and learn from me. What? For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What would I say if you're, you haven't found anyone? You, you think that the Lord has called you to be married, and uh, you're frustrated, and you well, I would say rest, go to sleep, rest. In other words, learn from the Lord. Let him take this burden from you. And when you get to the place uh, where you're thinking in that regard, remember, you have some ideas about who you want to marry, don't you? I know one friend had a whole list. I mean, like, lists like down to the color of the car list. And it was pretty particular. And what's funny about that is, okay, God maybe has put this desire in your heart. You, you haven't found that person right now. Maybe what we should do is return to our first love, Jesus Christ, and take the list that you have for your mate and ask the Lord to do that in your heart and make you the type of mate or Christ-like person that he wants to make you. So let's just think about this. What are some good qualities of somebody who you're dating or you're thinking about dating? Well, first of all, I want you to know that there's this promise that God works together for good, everything to those who love God, to those who are called according to this purpose. That's why it's easy to trust God with your rest, you see. Because he's conforming you to the image of his son. I would also point out to you Psalm 37, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. You say, well, why haven't you given me the desires of my heart yet, Lord? And I don't know that answer, but here's what I would say. Rest. In other words, don't go making it all happen. Do I think you shouldn't go out on dates? No, that's not what I'm saying. Should you not sign up online? Hey, that's up to you. I don't know. There's been some great success stories. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying the tone and tenor of your heart is you're not hoping in those things. You're hoping in the Lord to develop you as a Christ-like person who honors him. 
while you're resting. Because he'll teach you, it says, while you're resting. So what would you like in a dating partner? Which really is, what would you like the Lord do for you? Well, how about an authentic Christian? You notice I said an authentic Christian? One that's pursuing Christ. One that's committed to Christ. One that responds to Christ. One that takes you and says, are you getting ready for church? Let's go to church. Let's go and study the word. Let's go to the home fellowship. Let's go to the praise night because we want to honor and commit to the Lord. Let's go serve together and those sorts of things. Here's another thing that I think is ultra key to look for in somebody that you're going to date. You ready? Or marry. You ready? Ready for this one? This is huge. I think you need to find somebody who is really secure or free or confident, and I put here, in the Lord. Somebody who's secure or free or confident in the Lord. They know who they are. They know who you are. You understand this? They have an identity in Christ. You know, we can have lots of identities. Folks, hang on. I'll be, I'm almost done. We can have lots of identities. Here's what my identity was. Be the greatest sports person I could be. Be around famous people and get rich. And go on vacations and post it up on Instagram so you'd be jealous. That's, you think I'm kidding. But that's what my image I desired with all my heart until I became a Christian. I wanted to be that. Maybe some of you have thought similar things like that. Or maybe you wanted to be thought of as a musician or an actor or a great school person. But see, when you come to Christ, I want you to catch this. It's the only place in all of the world where your identity isn't fashioned by you, but your identity is received as a free gift from the Lord. Because of his goodness and grace, he gives you an identity. And what's the identity? You're in Christ. Look, you're forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future. He's got you taken care of in the present, and your future is, for all of eternity, solidified. There's nothing for you and I, in that sense, to worry about. So we can go around being free. We're who God created us to be. You know one of the great things that would help your dating and married life is to take your social media and kill it. You know why? Because you compare yourself to other people. And you think, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not this. But see, that's not your identity. Your identity is you're a child of the king. He made you as he made you. And that's who you are. Get it? And now you can walk around free and loved and free to love other people, including the one that you'll marry someday. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. So you should be secure and free in your identity in Christ. And here is a great quality. I'm almost done. Be a great listener. If you're going out with somebody and they're only talking about themselves for two hours... That's like the huge red flag, a huge red flag. So again, socialization, you learn to do that. If you, hey, who, who here is somebody who tends to talk over people? 
Okay, we'll learn how to defer, learn how to defer, learn how to let others have their place. Learn that and ask the Lord to help you in that regard and be a great listener. Here's another thing that you submit to authority and you take criticism well. Oh boy, I'm in trouble there. Submit to authority and take criticism well so that you can learn and grow. Here's another one. You look for somebody whose past has been dealt with. Or you become somebody whose past has been dealt with. You recognize you've been forgiven. And your identity is you're not that person anymore. Or if something's happened to you, listen, if something's happened to you in your past, you work through that with God's grace and healing, and you're not identified as that anymore, you're Christ's child. Now you become free. And so what I would say is, if something like that has happened to you in your past, oh, well, go to the Lord now. Seek counsel now as the Lord's preparing you for who to date or marry, you see. What other things? Just a couple. Well, I think your purpose and your goals line up, but that came when we talked about who we were attracted to. You don't want to marry somebody who wants to stay in Pittsburgh if you want to be a missionary in Uganda. I mean, that's just not going to work out, folks. Here's some other things. Respect each other. Be a giving person. Remember, it's not what you can get. It's what you can give or how you can serve. You love to be in their presence. You love to be with them. You want to have a healthy, protective, a healthy, listen to what I said, healthy, protective attitude, not a weird, jealous attitude, but a healthy, protective attitude together. You want to grow together, and you want to be able to be a forgiver or to be able to apologize. Is everybody with me? And the reason I went through that list is that's somebody to look for, but if the Lord's saying to you, rest right now, and as you go down that list, you say, oh, Lord, help me to be that person. Yes, sir. Dating. There's no other issue in the church that jams people up more than this one. For some reason, when the spark comes alive, the obedience and the rationale try to go out the window. But let's not let it be so. Let's be people who in our dating relationships honor the Lord. Amen?